Okay, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. If you've not met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you. If you have a Bible, could you please go to Mark chapter 13? Mark chapter 13. We will get there momentarily. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to get ready for something that's coming and it's involved activity and energy on your part to prepare yourself. I've got something coming up in a couple of weeks that I'm in the process of getting ready for that's not easy, and that is I'm doing a race in a couple of Saturdays' time, a running race, um, which I'm finding quite a struggle because uh, over the lockdown I used to run, I enjoyed it, but over lockdown everything fell apart, and I found it really difficult to get back into the habit of just exercising regularly and running regularly. And we did the fun run a few weeks back. I made it round that, so I thought, well, I know I can do that, but I've been trying to then improve that and just go a little bit further because if I'm going to complete the race in a couple of weeks, I've got to be able to run further than the fun run. And it's just been hard. It requires focus. It requires commitment. It requires discomfort as you have to push yourself and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to do this. It's sometimes just too darn hot to go out for a run. You think, I've got a free lunchtime. I can get out. And it says 29 degrees. And you're like, are you mental? But I have to, because otherwise I'm not going to be up for it come starting day in a couple of Saturdays' time to do this. So it's been something I've been trying to get ready for. And what we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 13 is this whole idea of getting ready and being ready. Jesus is talking to his followers about what it means to be ready and what's coming in the future and what they're going to face. And what we're going to look at is the whole of Mark chapter 13. So we're going to do a big block today. We've been going through the whole gospel and what we've got here in Mark chapter 13 is the final discourse of Jesus' life as recorded by Mark. It's a big block of teaching. If you've got one of those flash Bibles, it'll mostly all be in red, because that's Jesus speaking, which is unusual for Mark, because Mark has lots of short stories, short snappy things where Jesus did something and immediately something happened and immediately something else happened. But this is a long block of teaching. And it comes in the context, we've looked at the whole of chapter 11, we've looked at the whole of chapter 12, where Jesus has been in conflict with the temple in Jerusalem and the temple authorities. And this discourse, this piece of his teaching in Mark chapter 13 is the culmination of that. And the context in which he's speaking is the temple and the coming destruction of the temple which will happen in the future, but also talking about the end, the end times, which is all mixed in together in this particular, particular text. And sometimes it can be difficult to discern. Is Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple is coming, or is he talking about the end when he comes again, and it all gets a bit mixed up? And so we're going to read the passage. In fact, Charlotte's going to read it too. It's going to appear on the thing behind us, and we're going to go through the entire of Mark 13, and then I'm going to explain it to you. <laughs> so when you're ready, Charlotte, off you go. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. 
And Jesus said to him, do you see that these, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit." And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as, as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from the heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. 
And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Fantastic. Thank you, Charlotte. Okay, big idea. Live in a state of readiness of the end. Live in a state of readiness of the end. One of the things we do in this church, which we love to do and we will always continue to do, is preach through books of the Bible. And what that means is, when you preach through an entire book of the Bible, like the Gospel of Mark, you have to deal with the stuff that comes up that makes you scratch your head. I thought, I'm not sure about that. We don't get to cherry pick our favorite bits. So this is coming up. We're going to go through the entire of Mark chapter 13. This is the most debated text in the whole of the Gospel. There are many, many books and articles written out there with many, many divergent opinions and disagreements on what does this mean. And when you start talking about the end times, people can get a little fixated and a little funny. So let's just approach this with a little bit of soberness and recognize that godly, good-hearted people can disagree on parts of this. But what I want to do is I want to land on some stuff that hopefully we can all agree on. And we can put into practice. As we go through this, one thing I'd love you to do if you're taking notes or you've got one of those Bibles where you can mark stuff on your phone. Mark all the warnings and exhortations Jesus gives to his followers. There's some weird stuff around it, but there are some very clear things Jesus says to his followers. And mark how many times they come up because they come up a lot. Okay, seven things we're going to go through. Number one, the future of the temple. They came out of the temple. This is important and symbolic from Jesus. This is the last time Jesus enters the temple. He is now walking away from it. He never, ever returns. And in chapters 11 and chapter 12, he spent all his time in the temple. He has um, shown conflicts against the leaders of the temples. He's pronounced judgment on it when the withered fig tree. He has cleared out the money lenders. It actually began with him coming back in, the triumphal entry. The king had returned to his city. God had returned to his temple and he's met with outright rejection. He's judged it and condemned it as a den of robbers, den of thieves. It should be a house of prayer. It's not. And he's fought against it. Now he leaves never ever to return. And the temple at that time, Herod's temple, was incredible. It was an enormous building and complex that had been in construction for over 50 years. Um, Historians wrote that the open area around the temple was the size of 12 football pitches. The blocks of stone that were used, some of them were over 60 feet in length. The stone blocks they used to build up to make the temple. The columns that held the colonnade, it took three grown men, all their arms outstretched to go round one of them. And they were all around the edge of the temple area. It was huge. So no wonder the disciples say, this looks amazing. This is a wonderful building. Isn't it incredible? And Jesus just responds saying, it will be thrown down. Like the fig tree in chapter 11 that was cursed, he said, this place is not going to last. And a little bit of a history lesson. Jesus is speaking about AD 33-ish. Around 40 years after that, in AD 70, there was a rebellion in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, It was taken over, and the Roman army, the Roman Empire, only had one way to deal with rebellion, and that was to annihilate those who had dared to question the authority of Rome. So after a short siege of Jerusalem, lasting, I think, about five months... There was severe famine in the city, cannibalism took place, and then the Romans under General Titus, who then became Emperor Titus, leveled Jerusalem. 
leveled it and the temple to the point where the, the, um, the jo- uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that if a visitor came to Jerusalem, they wouldn't know where the temple stood. It was that bad. They just nuked the place. Over a million were killed in the process of the siege and then the army taking the city. It was utter and horrific devastation. And Jesus is saying, this place is coming to an end. Quite literally, it will be thrown down. The future of the temple that Jesus has been dealing with in chapter 11, chapter 12, is saying is utter and total destruction. To the point now, 2,000 years later, it still hasn't been rebuilt. It just doesn't exist. Jesus saying it's going to end. Which then gets to the next bit. Number two, the disciples question. Their their response then is like, whoa, when's this going to happen? What's going to happen with when is this thing going to take place? And it's the four disciples who were the first four that Jesus called way back in chapter one. They come and question Jesus. And Jesus, it says, he's on the Mount of Olives. This is significant. One, geographically significant, because the Mount of Olives is higher than the Temple Mount, where the Temple one, there's a valley in between. And so sitting on the Mount of Olives, you can look down onto the Temple and see it all laid out before you. It's also um, relevant because it means Jesus has come full circle. Because chapter 11, verse 1, Jesus starts his triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, coming in Jerusalem. Where does he begin that? Mount of Olives. So he's basically come all the way back round to where he started, looking down on the Temple. It's also relevant because of the prophetic... Um, meaning behind it because if we go to the um, book of Zechariah we find that Zechariah prophesied that God from the Mount of Olives declared the destruction and the sacking of Jerusalem ominous of what is going to happen in AD 7 you go to the book of Ezekiel and you find the prophet Ezekiel saying he had a vision where the presence of God left the temple came through the east gate and landed on the mountain that's east of Jerusalem. What's the mountain that's east of Jerusalem? The Mount of Olives. Who is the presence of God? Jesus. He's sitting on the mountain in fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy, looking down on Jerusalem, along with Zechariah saying, destruction is coming to this place. It is going to be destroyed. This order that has been established all these years, is coming to an end. And as we read through the rest of Mark's gospel, we'll find that, that Jesus himself comes, dies, the temple curtain is ripped, he is the new temple, and we are brought into him. But he also then goes on to number three, verses five to eight, he says, the end is not yet, so it's coming, about AD 33, AD 70 it happens, there's a period in between saying it's coming but it's not yet. And it, it begin, that section begins by Jesus saying, he says, Jesus began to say, which is a solemn pronouncement. He's giving words to them. And he's saying to them, do not be led astray. Do not be alarmed. If you're marking, mark both of those. That's what Jesus says to them. Do not be led astray. Do not be alarmed. He said, there are false messiahs are going to come. People are going to come and say, they're the Christ. It's happened in the past. It's going to happen again in the future before the end comes. People are going to say, I am the Messiah, using that same language Jesus uses about himself, which God used about himself back in Exodus 3, when we had the burning bush. I am. Jesus is the Christ. He is the one who comes. But others are going to come. Even if you skip forward into the book of Acts, find Acts chapter 5, they actually reference one of these people who, who rose up and said he was the Christ, and he was put down and crushed 
by the Romans, uh, a revolt in AD 66. So these false messiahs would come. He said, but also there'll be worldly events that are going to happen before the destruction of the temple. And he talks about wars and rumors of wars, and nation rising against nation and earthquakes and famines. And if you look in the history between when Jesus is speaking and the destruction of Jerusalem, you find all these things working out. There were fears of war. In AD 40, Emperor Caligula, the Roman emperor, wanted to set up a a statue of himself, he was that kind of person, in the temple courts. And there was this real fraught kind of moment where if he sets that up, you're lighting a spark on a powder keg that is going to blow up. And there was a rumor of wars and a fear of wars. It didn't happen. We find out in AD 66 there was a a revolt. There was an actual war that then was brutally put down by Rome. There were famines during the reign of Emperor Claudius, AD 41 to AD 54. There were earthquakes um, in modern-day Turkey, in Phrygia, and also in Pompeii in AD 61 and AD 63. So Jesus says all these things are coming. It's not the end yet. These things are coming to be, um, but they are just birth pangs. They're not the final thing. They are merely birth pangs. So that's coming. But he also says, number four, he says, there will be persecution. Be on your guard, which basically means be ready, be prepared. This is what's going to happen. There will be persecution. It will be official persecution, verses 9 and 10, from both Jew and Gentile, religious, religious and secular. It talks about council, synagogues, rulers, and kings. So there'll be persecution for the followers of Jesus from the, the, the official government authority, Rome. We see that in history, but also for the religious authority, the Jewish authority, they will see that. There will be persecution. Just read the book of Acts that's working out after this, and you will see it all happening. There will be persecution coming to it. But that's not without purpose. Suffering and persecution are all part of what it means to be God's people. Mark has laid that out throughout his gospel. But he said, actually, there's a purpose behind it. It means that they will, that God's people will then be empowered to witness and the gospel will preach to all nations. And so as the persecution comes, the Holy Spirit comes, fills his people, and they get to proclaim the good news of Jesus. The life of Paul, if you've never read it in the book of Acts, is just a microcosm of that. And the disciples are to be faithful in that time. But it's also said the persecution will come through families as well, not just official persecution. Following Jesus means families get broken up. Be, you will be betrayed by family members. This mirrors Jesus himself. Who was he betrayed by? Judas, one of his own, one of his closest buddies, one of his communities. He got betrayed by that. And he says, and then Jesus says, just to sum it all up, if this wasn't bad enough, says, you will be hated by all. That's a pretty encompassing statement there. So when you say all, who do you mean? All. Everyone. You will be hated by all, but believe it says you are to stand firm to the end. But this is coming. This is coming. There will be persecution, official and family. There will be troubles in the world around you. And then number five, he goes on to talk about the beginning of the end. And now we, now we get to some of the stuff. There will be the abomination of desolation that will bring great suffering. This is the bit in Mark that is the most debated and most like what does to what does this mean it's a cryptic reference to some stuff in Daniel Daniel 9, 10, 9 11 and 12 and there's something that's going to happen that will profane the temple in Jerusalem many believe scholars believe that 
what the prophecy in Daniel looks forward to event in about 168 BC, so before Jesus' time, where um, Antiochus, a Syrian general, outraged the Jews in Jerusalem by erecting an altar to Zeus and then offering a burnt offering of a pig on it. Which, if you really want to wind up the Jews, that's what you do. That's not like, oops, that's a, I will go out of my way. What came out of that was the Maccabean revolt and saying this was something terrible. But Jesus seemed to say something else is coming like this. And then he puts an editorial comment, which doesn't help. Let the reader understand. It's like, we don't get it. What does it actually mean? And there's a sense that it points forward to the destruction of the temple by the future emperor Titus um, and all the devastation that occurred. But there's also a sense where it might be pointing forward to something even greater in the future. So we get these overlapping words of Jesus. That actually, the temple is going to be destroyed. We know that from history. We know what happened there. But there is also devastation that will come in the future for God's people and the church, which is where we get into all the speculation of what this means, who is that, what's going to happen. And so that's all around there. And Jesus is saying something's coming. Great suffering is coming for God's people. And he talks about a tribulation that is coming, that has not been from the beginning of creation until now. And tribulation just is a reference to huge suffering that is coming to the people of God. And the immediate fulfillment is obviously the destruction of the Jerusalem and the temple where so many died, so many were killed, so many starved to death, and all that happened there. But there's also a looking forward to actually is something coming for the church in the future. And we've seen it in pockets throughout history. The church has always been persecuted, has always been. There are members, who, people who follow Jesus who've been killed for their faith time and time and time again still existing in part of the world today we live in the comfortable west where the worst that could someone could call you would be a jesus freak or a bible basher you think oh the pain the pain of that no there are people who are murdered for their faith their houses are destroyed and jesus is saying there is suffering that is coming on the church but whatever we speculate about it notice what he says be on your guard be prepared don't be surprised when this comes. Don't be surprised when suffering and persecution comes upon you. It's coming on Jerusalem. It's coming on the temple. It will be destroyed. But that's not the end of it. God's people will always be hounded and they will suffer and they will be persecuted in this life. It is an inevitability for God's people. And whatever we speculate about the end and the signs of the ends of the age... And what it real meaning is, we know that this will happen and we as God's people are to be ready for that and be prepared for that. And then part six, it says, there will be the coming of the Son of Man. In those days, after that tribulation, it says the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven. But something will come out of it. Suffering, persecution, and death are not the full stop of the sentence. What is it? It is the coming of the Son of Man in power and glory. And we see that partly in Jesus' death and resurrection. He is raised in a glorified body. He ascends in glory into heaven. But there is the fullness of that that will be revealed when he comes again 
in power and glory and every eye will see and every heart will know and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is the Lord. That's coming. And so we've got these images being crossed here with the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem but all, uh, and Jesus' death and resurrection that is wrapped up in that, the advancement of the church which is faced with persecution but then Christ himself coming in power and glory. And Jesus is borrowing language from Daniel 7 where the Son of Man went before the Ancient of Days and was given all power and all authority. Clearly a reference to himself, which is ironic considering Jesus has spent all his time telling his disciples, I'm going to suffer and die. But that's not the end. There will be power and glory. And if we read through the book of Acts, we see that. We see the worldwide spread of the church, the elect being called in, but at the same time there is something coming at the end. There will be suffering for the church. There will be persecution for the church. But that is not the end. The end is when Christ returns in power and glory. And so that is coming. And then Jesus talks about the fig tree. Learn the lesson of the fig tree. He's already cursed a fig tree as an image of the temple of Jerusalem. What's going to happen? It's going to wither and die. But he says, look to it. It's coming because there will be a sign that when you know Uh, that the leaves of the the tree are coming. You know, summer is coming. There is an inevitability about it. He doesn't give a specific date to his disciples, but tell them, you know, this is coming. Temple will fall. Jerusalem will fall. The fig tree is a representation of that. He doesn't give them specifics, but he's saying, this is coming. Truly, I say to you, the generation that you're a part of will not pass away before it happens. So there is an, it's coming soon. But he doesn't give specifics on that. And we know from history it did come in their lifetime. And then the final section, verse, uh, verses 32 to 37. He ends with, count in this section how many warnings Jesus gives to his people as he sums this up. You might scratch your head at some of the stuff that's gone before. I know I did during my prep. I was like, what on earth? How do I but then you get to the end. And he says this. First of all, he says that no one knows the hour or the day. Interestingly, Jesus admits in the economy of God there's something he doesn't know. Which I always find funny when he's the savior of the world and he knows everything. And he is the second person of the Trinity. But he said, that is with God the Father when I return. But he does know he is going to return. But he gives to his followers who are listening to him on the Mount of Olives so many warnings. Be on your guard. Keep awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. He gives them an image of the servants who are in charge. And the master has gone away. And they're guarding the door. And he mentions the watches of the night, which are the Roman, four watches of the Roman night. He's saying during that time, when it seems dark, and there's persecution and opposition against God's church, what are you to do? You are to stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Don't give up. Don't give in to temptation to be led astray. Be on your guard because the master is going to return and he will come suddenly. And the question is, is he going to find you asleep? And the last two words of the passage are the words of Jesus is stay awake. Be ready. Get ready for what is coming. Do not give in. The end is unknown. For those disciples who were there, they were going to live through it, but they didn't know what it was going to look like. And it's the same for us. We're going to live through 
these next few decades, as long as God gives us, and we don't know what it's going to look like, but we do know the end is coming. We do know who wins at the end, and we are to be live in a state of constant readiness for that. So whatever happens, whatever comes, the question is, are we going to be ready? Are we going to be ready? And in Jesus, in communicating with his disciples, this is what he is telling them to do. Be ready. Be ready, because what's going to come for them, and possibly for us, is horrific in terms of the destruction of the Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. All right, a couple of things to talk about application, and then we will finish. The first one, the end is coming. The end is coming. It's coming for all of us. And either it comes because Jesus returns, hallelujah, or it comes because you die. (laughs) Either way, it's coming. It is inevitable, and Jesus makes that very clear. It was clear for his disciples. It was clear for us. There is going to be suffering and persecution and death, and Jesus is going to come in power and glory. This is the story of God's church. We've got it written down in the book of Acts. We have church history, hundreds, thousands of years to look at. This is something that we just have to live in light of and say, this is it. And we need to put this to bed in our hearts. Peter, one of the ones who sat there and listened to Jesus, wrote this later to the church to kind of underline this when he said, 1 Peter 4.12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised. At the fiery trial, when it comes upon you, to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. You don't see that on t-shirts or Insta with a nice filter, do you? Jesus loves you is all you get. Nice things like that. Beloved, this is Peter talking to the church, I love you. My brothers and sisters in Christ, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. The end is coming. The Son of Man will return and all will have to face him in judgment. And how we get there depends on how life works out. Whether we die in this life or we face him because he comes again. But we're all going to end in the same place. We're going to suffer just like the temple in Jerusalem suffered and all that happened around then. The church is going to suffer and the only way through that is with Jesus. And this is a message for all of us. This is no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, no matter what you're going through now, this is a message for all of us. And so if you are not a believer here, you're saying, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I ask you now to repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in him. Because all of us will one day have to stand before him in judgment. He will return in power and glory and we will all have to give an account. And unless you are in Christ, you will not be able to stand. And being in Christ doesn't mean you're better. It just means you're just as guilty as everyone else and you've just fallen on someone else to look after you, to save you. Which is what it means to follow Jesus. And so if you're not a believer here, you need to put your faith and trust in him. Because we're all going to face that, whether it's just our mortal bodies dying here or facing him because he comes again. The second thing I want to say to you right now is get ready. Get ready. If you go through the passage, you see this. 
See that no one leads you astray. Do not be alarmed. Be on your guard. Do not be anxious. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. Stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. And they're only the ones I found. I might have missed them. I highlighted it in my text when I was doing my prayer. I thought, I've got, <laughs> there's too many there. I've got to get them all down. There's, there's something coming through. There's a theme here that Jesus wants us to get. There is a refrain in that passage for all believers who read it that there will be persecution, there will be suffering, and then Jesus will return, and we need to get ready. Our response to Jesus is not panic or loss of hope, but it is to put our faith and trust in him and be ready for his return. Live life day by day that you are ready for him to come back, that you are ready to face him. The image that just come to my head is, um, who remembers Star Trek? One of my favorite characters in Star Trek, Lieutenant Worf, the Klingon, who somehow got into Starfleet. I don't know how that happened, but he was always very gruff, very big, very you know, stoic. I like that kind of character. But he'd always say, today is a good day to die, when something suitably dramatic was happening. Everyone would look at him sideways like, no, it's not. No, I don't want to die today. But that's what he would say. But we should live with that attitude. If we get called today... Right now, we're ready. We're ready to face our maker. And we need to live in light of this as Christians. We need to be aware of what is to come. One of the ways we be aware is we read our Bibles and we pray and we put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus. I'd love you to talk about it this week. Life groups, are you ready for the end? Are you living life now ready for the end? Are you prepared Are you preparing yourself? Have you got yourself ready for what it is? And you might say, well, maybe I'm not completely ready, but are you moving in that direction? Are you living that life? Are you living a life full of the Holy Spirit? If you read the book of Acts, when the church was facing incredible persecution and suffering, as well as incredible advance, the thing that runs through it, the refrain that runs through it, is that they were full of the Holy Spirit. If you're going to be on your guard, if you're not going to get led astray, if you're going to get ready, you need to be men and women full of the Holy Spirit. We need to do it. It's something we need to pray daily for ourselves. Lord, fill me with your spirit that I may serve you come what may. We've got our real life school running tonight where it's going to be about the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray for people to be full of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't signed up, come along. You can do it again on Friday morning as well. Be men and women full of the Holy Spirit. Invest in what is permanent. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said. But one of the ways we get ready is we put our energy and our commitment and our focus in things that will last beyond this life. So much of what we do is temporary and will just disappear and be burnt up. What we do for the kingdom of God, telling others about Jesus, serving the poor, being part of the church community, growing up in Christ, repenting of our sins, and we can do that regardless of what age you are, whether we were in school or university or working or raising kids or volunteering or retired, we are to give ourselves to the kingdom of God and all that is. We're currently facing a cost of living crisis. Have you noticed They talk about it quite a lot in the news. It's there. 
and we faced it in our family. Prices have gone up, energy prices have gone up, mortgage has gone up. And it's one of those things we, we could get so fixated on that. And we had to have a conversation in our family where it says, what push comes to shove, this is what's going to happen. We'll sell a house, we'll live somewhere smaller. It'll be fine. This is not suffering on the scale Jesus is talking about. This is comfortable, modern, middle-class, uh, Western done. It's real. But actually, ultimately, we can do that. And we'll be fine. We can cope with a much smaller house. And I appreciate it is real for a lot of people. But we are to live for something more than what's now. If I lost my house and we had to go and live somewhere smaller, we'd be okay. We've got the church community. We've got each other. We've got Jesus. We'll be fine. And we need to live with that. We need to build for something that is permanent. And the only thing that's permanent is the kingdom of God. The only thing that's permanent is the kingdom of God. So what are you giving your time and treasure and talents to? Check your diary. Check your bank account. They're the two things. They will call out the truth, no matter what you say out of your mouth. What are you giving your time? Because if you're giving something to something that is not going to last, it's just going to come to nothing. And there are so many bigger things. And Jesus says, do not get distracted about it. Do not get led astray by that. We might not follow someone who says, oh, I'm the Christ over here. But we might follow someone who says, get the bigger, get the better. Spend on this. Give your life to this. This is what's important. Consumerism, materialism, there are false Christs. That's what we give our time to in this part of the world. We're to give it to Jesus. Let me just ask you a question as we finish. It's a challenging one which we've been living with in our home recently is what's happening in your life? What are you doing? What are you giving your time to that if God doesn't turn up, you're screwed? What are you doing for the kingdom of God? What are you stepping out in, in faith, that if Jesus doesn't turn up in power by his spirit, you're going to look stupid or worse because you're willing to step up into his kingdom? Because the reality is the part of the world we live in, we can do most stuff ourselves. We've got time, energy, resources. I'm educated. I can cope with most stuff. And I can work it out or I can ask someone. But actually, when you start stepping out in faith and talking to a neighbor about Jesus, it's like, if you don't turn up, <laughs> if I start praying for sick people, Holy Spirit, if you don't turn up, I'm going to look silly. When we came to plant a church here, it was like, God, if you don't do something, I've just sold my house, given up two good jobs, moved away from all my friends and I just if you don't turn up I am toast what are we doing what are you doing where it's like actually I need you Jesus it's time to act like this it's time to invest in this it's time to give our hearts and our lives to this it's time to stay awake be on our guard not give up not give up to hurts and pains hallelujah anyway amen do you want to stand up I'm going to pray band come up we've got some time we're going to worship and finish Do you want to just close your eyes? Maybe open your hands if that works for you. Okay, just put your eyes on Jesus. There's lots of provocative and challenging stuff's come out of that. 
But the Holy Spirit, I believe, is here, and I believe he will speak to you individually about things that you need to do. And so in the midst of all that stuff I've just thrown out, there'll be things that God's put on your heart for you to respond to in faith. And there might be things you need to repent of, turn around and say, I'll go the other way. It might be things I need to do that you've been putting off. It might just be a heartfelt, Lord, I need you, I surrender to you. Get me ready, grow me up, all those things. I don't know what it is. But I want to pray in a way that I want you to be able to respond to Jesus in faith, in your heart, what you're doing. So something you need to do, someone you need to talk to, some adjustments you need to make in life, some attitudes you need to change. So can I just pray and then we'll sing a bit and see if God wants to say anything else to us. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you that you are here with us. We thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that you do not leave us astray. We thank you in the midst of a world that seems to be going increasingly crazy, things happening all around us, pressures coming on us from so many ways. Lord, we thank you that you are with us and we thank you that you have called us to yourself. We thank you that you saved us. We thank you that you have brought us into your family, the church, part of your kingdom. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can enjoy that. We thank you that you call us and say, come to me, come to me, come to me, whatever's happening. Lord God, I pray that we as a people would take seriously your warnings from that passage to stay awake, to be on our guard, to not be led astray from your kingdom and your calling, to put our faith and trust in you. No matter what happens around us, no matter how the world shakes, no matter how our life shakes, no matter all the pressures, if everything got stripped away, we still have you. And that's enough. Lord, let us see the stories we read in the book of Acts and think, God, like that, we want to be faithful men and women to you. Lord God, we pray you'd fill us to see your kingdom come in our lives and those around us. Lord God, give us, fill us with your spirit that we might be empowered for witness and service like we read about, like we read about in Acts, Lord Jesus. Let us be men and women who know and love and serve you. I'm just going to give you a minute now. If you need to do some business with the Lord, you do that and then we'll sing and then we'll put, we'll put our eyes on Jesus. So you just talk to him now. Whatever it is, he's stirring in your heart. You do some business with him.